0: We go back to our insert for the Holy Gospel according to Matthew, the 11th chapter. When John heard in prison what the Messiah was doing, he sent word by his disciples and said to Jesus, Are you the one who is to come, or are we to wait for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear. The dead are raised and the poor have good news brought to them and blessed is anyone who takes no offense at me. As they went away to tell John, Jesus began to speak to the crowds about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to look at? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? Someone dressed in soft robes? Look, those who wear soft robes are in royal places. What then did you go to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you and more than a prophet, this is the one about whom it is written, see, I am sending my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. Truly I tell you, among those born of women, no one has arisen greater than John the Baptist. Yet the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he is. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. I invite you all to be seated. So uh, so Paul, in his reading today, talks about patience, and, and there's a part of me that always sort of rankles about patience because I don't have an awful lot of it, truth be told. Um, what I have sometimes is a willingness to put up with minor discomfort until I get what I want, but I don't know that I would necessarily claim that as patient. Probably Lauren is the one who who you might ask about that, but she's conveniently not here because she's not feeling well today. And so that question might have to wait. But when Paul talks about patience, patience for the coming of the kingdom of God, patience for the return of Jesus, patience for the fulfillment of all the promises that are made through Scripture, patience that come with the the new justice and the new mercy and the new kingdom of God that will reign upon the earth. Paul had an expectation that patience wouldn't have to quite last this long. And really when you read most of the writings of the New Testament, when you read the book of Revelation, which I both do and don't recommend. I do recommend it because it's fascinating and interesting and it has beautiful image or imagery. I don't recommend it if you're looking for a a field guide to what might happen at the end of the world because it wasn't intended that way. But. When you look at all of these writings, you do get the sense that this expectation, this patience was something that was going to come sooner rather than later. And I might even, I joke sometimes and say, Paul said, well, if you're married, that's fine. If you have children, that's fine. But if you're not married, don't bother. If you don't have children, don't bother. Because Jesus is coming back and it's going to be sometime around Thursday. And Thursday came and when a few thousand times. And still, no return of Jesus, at least in the way that we've expected it. And this reminds me of some of the themes in Advent that we've already had. Jesus says, you might look for the signs of the times and the seasons, and people will come in my name and say, I am He. Believe me. Believe that these signs and the stars and believe that these signs and the seasons and these earthquakes and all these things are portents of judgment. But don't believe them because they're not actually coming in my name, the Lord will come with surprise. And so one of the Advent themes is keep awake, always be ready, always be prepared, especially if you're a Boy Scout, I guess. It's it's a message though that I I think is important to hear, especially when we realize that the patience we've been called to have is, is not the patience of a moment. It's not a momentary discomfort. It's not a short-lived expectation, but we see throughout the Scriptures that what God promises is the promise that comes generation after generation. Almost the entirety of our faith is something that we're looking forward to, something that we expect. And one of the things that uh, Michelle and I were pondering as we were preparing for our confirmation class tonight, or last week, was uh, the idea of how do we know that God is faithful to promises? What does it mean that God keeps promises? How do we know? What, what is it in God that is different from me saying to, to, to my daughter that, well, when we get home, maybe we can watch TV. And sometimes maybe is no. Or if I'm really tired and it's a Sunday afternoon, maybe is definitely. But we, we don't always hear from our parents the things that are absolutely true. We don't always hear from the people in our lives, the things that are absolutely true. And, and for those of us, especially those of us with ADHD, where time doesn't necessarily exist in the same format as it does for the rest of the world, you know, we, we have every intention of doing exactly what we said. When we said we were gonna do it, when we said it, we're not, not telling the truth. What happens is, look, something bright and shiny. Isn't that interesting over there? And, and what happens is that because all of us from time to time do not keep our promises, any promises that are made to us are suspect. And I, I think a lot of times that includes God's because, one, we don't deal with anybody this consistent. Two, the promises that God makes are generation to generation. They are promises that don't happen now. They're promises that are going to happen later. And three, when we want something to happen sooner rather than later, and we're very excited for what might come, and we have great hope for who we might see again, or what, what might be healed within us, or what crooked ways will be made straight, or how justice might come. Who wants to wait for that? How do we believe that God is someone who keeps promises? Now, the one answer is that god we know God keeps promises because we have the witness of Scripture to prove it. And, and so we see God's promise to be with creation as sort of tacit in God creating. And so Adam and Eve eat the fruit. And God promises them if they do that, then they're going to face death. And that promise is true. And it sounds like what that promise also means is they will no longer experience the presence of God because now they're bad people. But this is a place where God's promise is, is different than what we expect. Yes, Adam and Eve leave the garden. But God doesn't abandon them. God fashions for them clothing. God gives them vocation. God gives them a place where they might till the soil and where they might raise their family. An example that uh, I've actually liked the last few weeks, enough that I've inserted into places that it didn't belong, is the story of, of God's promise to Cain, which is a really strange place, maybe, to look for the places where God is faithful Given what Cain did, Cain was someone who was jealous of his brother Abel because God accepted Abel's sacrifices and did not accept Cain's. And there's all kinds of hay made about whether that sacrifice was in good faith, whether that sacrifice was worthy, whether Abel gave the good stuff and Cain gave the bad stuff. And depending on how you interpret any or none of that could actually be true, depending on which tradition you follow, All that really matters is that Cain felt left out of God's promise. And Cain felt what so many siblings and so many family members felt. Cain felt jealousy. And he felt anger. He felt like this is not fair. And so Cain slew his brother Abel. And then when God found him, what would we expect? We might expect divine retribution. We might expect God to smote somebody. I guess smite somebody. But I do like the word smote. You know, we expected God to to give the kind of justice that leaves Cain lacking because Cain certainly did deserve that. The same as Adam and Eve deserved whatever punishment might come their way, but we see something else in God's character. God was merciful to Cain. God said you can't stay here. This is sort of a theme. Something happens. We have to leave. God promises that God will be faithful. God is faithful. And so God puts a mark upon Cain that will tell anybody who encounters him to not murder him, not harm him, but to leave him alone. He might be an exile from his home, but somehow he's not exiled from the love of God. And, And this becomes important to us. As we think about what is the character of God, we see two things. God, one, is fierce and consistent and love. And that love drives God, even though there are stories in the Old Testament about judgment and, and natural disasters that God causes and things like that, what do we see in the midst of that? After all of it, we see that God is consistent in being more merciful than God is wrathful. I think also one thing we see in this is that love affects everybody similarly including God in a key way. Love makes everybody vulnerable. If it doesn't make you vulnerable, if love can't heal and hurt you, if love can't bring you both into joy and anger, it is not love. And in this way, I think we begin to understand what these promises, what this creation, what all this relationship. What all this failing and forgiving, warning and mercy are really all about, it's the struggle of the God who is creating us with the vulnerability that might be the single vulnerability that God has. Love. And it's interesting to think about that when we speak of the creator of all that is, seen and unseen. Because we do see the truth of that love and the way God responds when people disappoint God when people are unfaithful to God. And God's wrath then isn't simply God being angry because you didn't obey Him. At least I don't think. I think God's love is the natural response of a heart that is wounded by the one that they love. It speaks to something of our humanity too and what that image of God created, being created into us might be. That we think of perhaps this physical body being the image of God. After all, that's how Jesus incarnates. We we think about maybe, you know, lots of things possibly being the image of God. But what if the image of God that really is created most fundamentally, deeply, and irrevocably within us is the capacity to love and be healed and be hurt, and out of that love create and sometimes destroy because that vulnerability is part of the definition of what we understand about God in the same way it's the definition of what we understand about ourselves. Now the difference between us and God is there are certain things that we refuse to forgive. There there are certain things that people will do to break relationship that they can never put back together again because trust is too hard fought for. Trust is too challenging to win. And trust can sometimes be impossible to repair. I think also the difference between us and God is that consistency in the way we keep our word. And this, I think, is maybe the single biggest thing for me as I think about how can I believe and put stock in and really trust and really have faith that God will keep God's promises it comes back to Genesis 1. All of my my theology pretty much goes back to some sort of creative force because I think that act of creation is something that God continually does. God isn't the one who created. God is the one who is created. And, And this continuing action is part of what I'm about to say, that there is nothing in God's character that smacks of any incongruity There is nothing in God's character that is inconsistent. If God is creator, God is always creating. If God is love, then God is always love. And so because there is no inconsistency in the character of God, not only does God speak things that God intends, but we see in Genesis that God speaks and something springs up out of nothing. A consistency so deeply rooted in God's character that the very utterance of a word brings into being all that is seen and unseen. And we see God's willingness to be involved in us with us through Genesis chapter two as God creates with God's hands the image of someone molding dirt into a body, blowing breath into the lungs. And in the same way, we heard Carl Sagan say that we're created out of star stuff. Through scripture, we learn something that I think is beautiful and more fundamental. What we're created out of is God's stuff. What God provides, what God forms, what God shapes. The breath into which God breathes that life into creation is the breath that drives all things into being. And so when God speaks a promise... That thing already exists. Now that's easy for me to say from the pulpit. You know, it's, it's easy for me to talk about this theologically. It's easy for me to talk about this in theory because it means that if everything's going to happen way down the road, I can say whatever I want about it and no one's going to prove me wrong, right? So, so if this isn't something that really speaks to you, what is it that makes us see, taste, feel, believe that God is faithful? And if you really saw my interior dialogue a lot of times about faith, you would see that I approach my faith in a lot of life kind of as a skeptic. Faith is not something that's been won easily through my life, it's something that I always struggle with. And honestly, I think that a lot of times, if anyone tells you they've never struggled with their faith, either they haven't taken it very seriously or they're not being particularly honest with themselves. So what is it when the skeptic steps in And the worry steps in and the fear steps in and you look at the world and you wonder how can anything good come from this place? And how can any good creator be creating this? And I hear Jesus today talking about John the Baptist who asked whether he was the Messiah. And Jesus says, well, look what's happened. The sick have been healed. The dead have been raised. The blind can see. And then he turns to the crowd and says, does this surprise you? Well, what do you expect? Which is maybe one of my favorite questions in the entire Bible. What did you expect to come from God? A reed shaking in the wind? Did you expect something that was so weak and so brittle that a, stiff, that a stiff wind could blow it over and break it? Did you expect something that was so fragile that it couldn't stand up to the rigors of daily life? And sometimes I think we think of God that way when we are sad and we are angry, when we are hurt and we are afraid, when we are broken and we are doubting, that somehow because our hurt and our anger at God and our doubt in God and our doubt in ourselves and our wondering whether anything could possibly be good, we wonder how God could possibly handle all of this for me when I give God my worst. And yet, this is the God breathing life into us. This is a God who is creating all that is seen and unseen. Even in my greatest moments of ego, I can't imagine God being God in this way and not being able to handle my fear and my anger and my hurt and my despair. A God who is willing to send his son not so that not because killing Jesus is going to make God feel better. Or, or somehow, because God can't forgive us unless blood is spilled. I see the death and resurrection as the sign and seal of the covenant that God makes with us finally. That this is rooted in the faithfulness of God. God's love for creation. God's love for humanity. God's desire to redeem all that is seen and unseen that falls into the brokenness of existence. And through this act of the death and resurrection of Jesus declares that it's not something that we can break because God has promised. That's what we say at baptism too. God makes promises that we are God's children and that in all places and in all things God is with us. So what do we expect? A God who is shaken in the wind? A God so fragile that the worst of us might break God? Part of what makes God so substantial and robust for me is the fact that God is willing to be with us in our suffering and not just fair weather. God is willing to be with us in those moments. God is willing to be with us where we doubt. God is being willing to be with us in the, and slog through the pain of it. Because that's when we know love is strong. When do we doubt that people love us? We we doubt them when they won't stick with us. We doubt them when they won't stay with us when we're broken. We doubt them when they just try to make us feel better because they're feeling awkward. The God who is creating all that is seen and unseen is the one that can handle us at our best and worst and will not break. I, uh, I quote the great philosopher Christoph from Frozen 2. When um, he speaks to Anna, who is afraid that he won't love her anymore because she's been pushing him away. And he says to her, My love is not fragile. In this, what do you expect? A reed shaking in the wind? A love so fragile that our highs and our lows and our backs and forths could drive God's heart to break? Certainly in love, God can feel hurt. But God's love is not fragile. Amen.